And the way we structure everything is customer service and what the customer wants. So first of all, we're providing a martial arts experience and each person's experience will be different. So you need to tailor each program you have around that. So if you're a kid's program, you need to have the parents on board. If you have someone who wants to be a competitor and become a combat sports athlete, we need to have that program detailed. If you have someone who just wants to come in and do some training. So we're offering a martial arts experience, but with um, the key point is clear and concise customer service. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I am. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of martialartsmedia.com, George Faree. This podcast episode is the audio version from a video that was published on martialartsmedia.com. For the full episode, to download the transcript and get all the show notes, head over to martialartsmedia.com. Enjoy. Hey there, George Faria. Welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. We're on episode 115 and a bit of a different structure of a podcast for you, but great guest and some great content. So why the different structure? Over the weekend, we ran our Partners Intensive event. It was a school owners event for martial arts school owners all around the world who are clients of ours. So it wasn't an open event, although we did hand out a few invitations to a few lucky school owners who joined us and got some great value out of the weekend as well. So ran the event online, which, look, this is the cool part about online, is we had school owners from United States, Canada, UK, Australia, and New Zealand, right? Five different countries all around the globe. And this made for really great mastermind sessions, great conversations between school owners. And it just, it was a, was an epic event. So really thankful for, for the weekend and everybody that attended. So one of my guests, Kevin Blundell, was on previous podcast guest episode number 20. You can have a listen to that. And so I invited Kevin along for round two podcast. And the event was coming up and I said, look, why don't, we, why don't we actually just have you at the event and we can run the podcast as a podcast interview, but more importantly, we can have our guests ask you questions. And that really changed the flavor of the podcast. Great questions about scaling, scaling with multiple schools, how to structure the business, how to pay staff, how to do your staff training, et cetera, et cetera. So Real good value. Kevin Blundell is from Kumairu Martial Arts Systems. And I might just mix up the numbers, but it's 23 locations, I believe. Uh, about half of them are full-time, and they're approaching just about 2,000 students. Um, so really successful school owner and just a wealth of knowledge and just a really wonderful human being, really generous in everything that he shared. So you're going to get a lot of value out of this. Now, there's one snag out of this interview. As luck would have it, I've just moved offices. So if you look at this and it looks a bit crazy, it's like day one in my new office. So please don't judge from stuff all around the background. The office was my last weekend in my office in the city. And as luck would have it, the, the day that I run the online event, the entire building's power went out. And 
Luckily, I had a lot of backups, phone, internet, mobile, etc. So we managed to pull through. And um, five minutes before Kevin logged on, the entire building's power went out. So I thought I'd lost everyone at the event, but I managed to log back on in Zoom. And I walked around the office recording the podcast, muting in between that you know you couldn't hear the fire alarms and things going off in the background because of the power outage. But anyway, if you see a bit of craziness in the beginning, just yeah, look past that. Look for the gold in this episode because there's a lot of it. So anyway, here we go. Enjoy the episode. I'll speak to you soon. Good day, Kevin. Good morning, Brett. How are you? I'm just on mobile right now. So we got um. Ben, we got I'm in deep in the UK. Ben and Shane from AKA. We got Lindsay. We got Carl. We got Kim and Richard from Canada. We got Matt from Victoria somewhere. We got Michael Scott and Peter from New South Wales. We got Grant from Pollitz. We got Sam and Kylie. We got Tom Cooper. We got Zach from Perth. And we're all excited to hear of you. And Kevin, uh, when I said let's jump on, the entire whole building in Perth shut the power down so um <laughs> as as you do so but we're ready for you and so we're going to improvise first up kevin welcome uh thank you for thank you for joining us today um so i don't have my notes in front of me but what i can tell you is uh, uh kevin is one of the most respected martial arts owners that, that that i personally know we worked together uh, quite some time ago um, and we keep in touch every so often i really love chatting to, to kevin hearing his perspective of how he views his organization. So, um, guys, you've got uh, Kevin for about 50, 60 minutes. I want you to make use of the time and ask as many questions as you want. But um, I'm going to lead a few things that we want to talk about, how Kevin views his organization, um, how he views delivering a world-class experience to his students. And, and then for you guys looking at scaling to multiple locations, 23 locations, right, Kevin? Yeah. Yep. So we can dive a bit deeper into the structure and how that's going. So um, thanks for joining us, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, George. Cool. So I guess just a, a quick, um, a little quick introduction, just a bit to fill in the gaps where I might have missed. Just um, a bit more about you and and, and Kumai Room. Yeah, sure. Um, well, we're based uh, predominantly in uh, New South Wales, Queensland, and the ACD. My background is I started in martial arts in uh, 1969, boxing and judo, because uh, karate was too deadly. Then went into karate, then the kickboxing, Muay Thai, BJJ, the whole thing along the way. And um, we just started our own organisation in 1989 in Orange. And um, we just started off a very small group of people and we just slowly grew from there. Uh, primarily, we grew organically. We didn't really have any master plan. I was working as a builder, and then I took up a government position uh, with Fair Trading, and then uh, senior building inspector. So it was just pretty much um, what you would classify as just a hobby, a little part-time enterprise on the side with no real ambition. Uh, it wasn't until the 2010 uh, decided to go full time. Uh, or from 2011, we went for full time and subsequently we've grown out to 23 locations and just um, quite a few students across those locations. 
Right, perfect. So now, I mean, going from the one to twenty-three, um, there's there's obviously a lot of a lot of details and, and gaps in there. I guess I guess going from you know from one to two, what what are the core decisions you you made that you felt all right? This is this is a real business. This is a real thing. And how did you adjust your thinking and your your strategy? From well, uh, initially, um, I just wanted a my my background was used to um, just do my martial arts for enjoyment. I've been doing it all my life. Uh, my father was also a martial artist. And um, so I just sort of, you know, when I was a kid, I was training. And when I turned eight, we started training regularly uh, and formally. And so it's just sort of like something I always did. I explored other sports. I used to race motocross and played most uh, competitive sports at different stages and different levels. And then I just went into um, I like the competition side. It was very popular through the late 70s and 80s. Um, and then I just was more like a, it was just a social thing. Uh, and then I realised that, well, you know, I can spread the word a little bit further if we have more locations. So like-minded people uh, decided to join us. So we didn't really have any structure, any format. It was like I, I suppose we were just – all sailing on the same lake, and we said, hey, let's sail together over there. <laughs> so it was pretty ad hoc, uh, no real structure, um, and, you know, we weren't looking to, you know, save the world or take over the world with martial arts. We were just enjoying what we are doing. Uh, then we slowly developed from that point, uh, and then I went, whoa, hang on, I better get this a little bit more formulated. And uh, So about 1990, I started to design things in a more, corporate structure, um, and then it just sort of grew from there. And where we went full-time, well, that's when we blossomed out. So when we other people would just be sort of like, I might I use Brett as an example. I say, hey, what are you doing up there? Are oh, we doing this? Let's do You want to do something together? Yeah, why not? And that's we sort of did it under the same umbrella, and then we grew from that point. So that's how we sort of come. So it was pretty much, um, you know, accidental got to this point, really, uh, it was more purposeful from 2011 onwards and our focus has been uh, providing good service ever since. So so let's talk about that, Kevin, because uh, we, we spoke a bit about it the other day and you were diving, really defining on the type of experience that you deliver and and paying attention to finer details. Um, and and although you, you mentioned, you know, it, it's kind of flowed from there, but there's a lot in that, right? Because it's like you have organic growth, but mm-hmm. it's very strategic in that way because there are little things that are setting you apart from what everyone else is doing. Um, you want to maybe dive a bit deeper into the type of experience and how you guys go about that? Yeah, sure. Well, if you you need to have systems. We all know that. There's electronic systems and that. But the, the bottom line is you need to view everything from the inside out. And the way we structure everything is customer service and what the customer wants. So first of all, we're providing a martial arts experience and each person's experience will be different. So you need to tailor each program you have around that. So if you're a kid's program, you need to have the parents on board. If you have someone who wants to be a competitor and become a combat, combat sports athlete, we need to have that program detailed. If you have someone who just wants to come in and do some training. So... We're offering a martial arts experience, but with um, the key point is clear and concise customer service. So you need to 
you know, well, what we do is we have training for everything. We have every detail for every process and all staff use the same process at all locations. Right. And guys, just uh, check in, right? This is your opportunity to ask anything that, that, that is on your mind or what you want to elaborate, Kevin, to elaborate on. So, and, and just for some context, this was going to be a podcast interview and uh, we decided to, to schedule it this way um, so that you guys can get the, the benefit of having this, this type of interaction. So, uh, yeah, please, uh, please add, to the, add to the questions. What would you say, you know, because you, you guys operate your, your main uh, Port Macquarie location, yep. pretty small town, um, although you have a thriving business there, and also what's probably a premium service, right? It's not the, the cheapest of the services. How do you frame that and how do, you, how do you position yourself in the market to stand out and where pricing is not as much as an issue for the services and the value that you, that you deliver? Well, I think the most important thing is if you want to be paid as a professional, act like a professional. People aren't interested in how many belts you got or what titles you won and how many medals and trophies you got and how many killers that you've trained and all the rest of it. That went out in the 80s and, um, you know, along with mullets and holding cars, sadly, So, which I hate both of. So, yeah. Um, so you need to reframe and, and look if you want to, you know, provide a professional customer service. Okay, I'll give you an example. World Gym, most people have heard of that. They'll come to a town and they'll set up a franchise and they have a slick process where they locate the building, purchase the building or lease the building, set up the building, preframe what they're going to do in the community, what services they're going to provide. Uh, our most recent model, we put one, uh, a, a new facility in Western Newcastle. Uh, we got a brand new building. Uh, we leased the building. We, um, my business, I'm a builder by trade, so um, I set that up using my skills. Um, and we started right in the middle of COVID, like COVID was raging when we started on the fir uh, first week of August last year. And we've moved to 95 current financial members with our minimum payment of $150 per month. So it's about good leadership, determination, and having clear and concise systems in place that you follow. So we don't get into uh, anything other than making sure we provide the service that we say we're going to provide and we have people trained to deliver that service. So obviously you need to have skilled martial artists teaching your class and you need to have skilled people doing your administrative work out the front. Now, sure, we all start off like um, I'm not too proud. <laughs> I was doing the cleaning during COVID. It was a little, a real good leveller, bring me back down to earth. But, you know, it was uh, an opportunity to redefine everything we did and reset and restructure. I understand some of you folk are still under strict lockdown around the world and it's terrible, but... Um, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, that's for sure. Perfect. So, guys, quick check-in. What are you getting from this? If you can use the chat as a – every time you pick up something that's useful and that you can use, use the chat. That will give me a good guidance as well on you know, where, we can, where we can steer the conversation further. All right, perfect. So, um, want to touch – and we'll, we'll, we can jump back onto this, but how do you – how do you go about structuring your organization? I think actually before I ask that, you mentioned something 
in our chat on on Wednesday, I believe it was, and we we spoke about the way you view your organisation. Can you elaborate a bit on that? And, and for a hint as well, talking about the whole country club type of perspective. Okay, sure. Well, look, I'm not saying anyone's not a professional. Get, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm just saying what we do, what we do and how we go about our business. So initially, martial arts to me was a fun thing as a kid. And then it was like a cool thing to do as a competition and win trophies and have good fun doing it. Then it was like a hobby and then it was a social thing. And then it was like semi-professional business on the side. Um, but I had to take responsibility and realise I'm running a corporation. It's a multi-million dollar corporation that has tentacles across 23 locations and we're responsible for thousands of people, well-being and providing the service that we're going to do. So you need to have clear and concise structure. So we have a corporate head office, which is also based here at Port Macquarie, and then each location uh, I own some, I half share in some, and the rest are all under licence, and you need to make it so the people who are under licence are getting value for being part of your group and organisation and being well supported through that process. So the overarching thing is, you know, if you're happy with just a single dojo and a single school, sorry, and you're doing it with your partner and or a business partner and you're getting um, an income and you're enjoying your lifestyle, that's good. At my, my point, I'm, I've never had aspirations to grow to be some monolithic martial arts organisation. It's always been about, hey, am I enjoying what I'm doing? Yes, I am. Am I helping people better themselves? Yes, I am. Am I giving people opportunities? So we have 85 people who work full-time across all our schools. So we're employing a lot of people. And then we have dozens and dozens of people who kids after school come in and help in class. So that's probably, you know, that's why we need to run it properly and you need to be responsible and follow everything, you know, as per good business acumen. All right, perfect. And then you mentioned looking at country clubs. As, a, as an inspiration. Why is, why is that? Okay. Um, when I was in America, I, I did a talk. Um, I've been a few times and done some talks uh, with the EFC group and um, Brett served me rave on a few times. So <laughs> he, hasn't, he never fell asleep in any of my seminars, so that's good. Um, so when I was over there, I, I, I met some very wealthy and successful martial artists. They're a little bit opposite to us. They love to flaunt their Lamborghini and take you to their holiday mansion and take you out in their yacht and all that sort of stuff, whereas, you know, we, we, we like to keep ourselves a little bit quieter and just let our um, successes bubble in the background. Uh, anyway, one guy took me to a country club, like it was, you know, like a golf course, tennis, all that sort of stuff, and it was, you know, really flash. And it impressed me. And I said, oh, so what do you do to get in here? I said, you just come in. He goes, oh, no, sir. No, you have to be um, pay uh, to be on a waiting list. I said, pay to be on a waiting list? Seriously? He said, yeah. And he said, then you have set fees. And apparently the one I went to, which was really nice, um, was an old cheapo one. But I come away thinking about what if we all approached our martial arts a little bit differently? You know, swimming lessons are important. We all know that, guys. And martial arts is just as important. So we should be viewed a little bit differently 
than just, you know, some people who are that over there seeing is another thing to do. So we changed our mindset to be like, well, to be a little bit more exclusive uh, and that you can't just rock up and join in and have a free class or anything like that. You have to go through a process and to be analysed to see if you fit into our community uh, in a positive way. Conversely, it gives a per- the potential student an opportunity and their family to see if they are happy with the service we are providing, then they may go and try the next guy down the road, and that's okay too. We encourage that. We actually encourage that because we only want people who are committed and who are going to participate within the guidelines that we have and follow our systems. So you would never go into a price war? Well, the quickest way to go broke is to go cheaper than the bloke down the road. In a number of our locations, we've been taken on in a price war. Uh, even had one guy march up to us when we opened a location. He said, this town isn't big enough for another martial arts school, you know, and I'm the leading one here. And uh, he was right when he went broke a year later because he engaged in a price war. and. Um, so every time he put his price down, I put mine up. Great. <laughs> so for any of you guys doubting your pricing, there's, uh, there's some good advice. So, so on that, how do you frame that? Like if you, in, in a conversation, if somebody is going down that route and poking at other people being a martial arts school and inverted commas, you know, and at less of the price, how do you go about handling that? Well, first and foremost, let me qualify Anyone that teaches martial arts and puts up their shingle and their honest toilers, I take my hat off to them. It's like anyone that steps on the mat, in the ring, in the cage, whatever. I admire that. I've had that journey myself and it's good fun. But back to what we're talking about here is that first and foremost, if people want to shop around, that's their prerogative in choice. Some people will buy um, a really cheaper version car and they'll be very happy and satisfied because it works within their means. Some people will buy a BMW and Mercedes-Benz because it works within their means and then everything run in between. So when I say about being professional, I believe if everyone's an honest toiler and doing the best they can, they're professional. you got to remember, guys, if you charge a dollar in business, it's the right dollars that you got to charge. That's what you need to remember. With our organisation, we focus on making sure we have everything professionally done. So someone comes in and our staff are trained to talk to them and extrapolate the correct information out of them of what they really are there for. So we don't go into any pricing discussion at all. And if they ask, we quite happily tell them we don't have an issue with that at all. However, um, we're more about filling the need that they have. You've got to remember, anyone that's called you, sent you a message, come into your school, they're already halfway there, if not two-thirds of the way there. So you need to be grateful they've made that contact and you need to treat them exactly how you'd like to be treated in any customer service environment. So that's the way we process, go through the process. And then what we do is that we listen. We listen to what their needs are and we discuss their needs and we don't even talk about tuition fees or anything, and we just explain that we have a two-week trial, this is how we go through it, and most of the time, most people 
don't concern about asking about the price. If they ask about the price, you should give them exactly what it is and everything they've got to pay for so there's no hidden costs. Love that. So real value-based pricing, it's not what you deliver, it's really the outcome that you're trying to serve and where yeah. you want to Well, we have a saying, if any of our staff are selling, they're sacked because we do not want to sell a martial arts program. We are storytelling. We're telling you about what martial arts, everyone here will know how martial arts feels for them and the journey they've been on to get to the point they are at now. And it, once you can harness the feeling into words, then you have a much better uh, way of getting people to enrol in your school. You want them to enrol in your school to be educated in the way that you run your organisation and the programs that you have. You don't want them to think they're just coming to kick some bags because they can go to the local gym, get a 15 bucks membership, go and do weights 24-7 and kick and punch bags all day long. Okay, so you want to be, we're selling a martial arts program. I love this, but what I'm more intrigued about is how do you replicate that type of skill amongst your staff? Because if, if you're saying storytelling and not selling, right, so we're all telling stories, how do you get your staff to engage into that level of enrollment that they are storytelling and telling stories? Well, let's, let's translate it to martial arts. It doesn't matter what style or system of martial arts. Generally, every done, everybody does something that has graduation involved, belts, uh, badges, T-shirts, prechettes, sashes, you know, there, there's big furry hats that are different colours, whatever. You know, everyone has a progression through the martial arts. So with the staff, they need to be also given progression. So you start staff at a lower level and you have training, just like you have training for your next belt or your next badge or whatever you, whatever system you use. But we use belt for the for the point of the exercise here. It's disgusting. We train people with scripts and then the scripts are then revised constantly. And then we have a lot of meetings online, but not, not all the time, not inundated. Uh, and then we have gatherings many times throughout the year where we get together. But the most important thing is rehearsal. Thank you. And this is where a lot of people fall over. They go, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll go through this script with my staff. Yeah, let's rehearse it, okay? So we have a, a you know, and most of you have heard of it, uh, phone script rehearsal and all that sort of stuff. The consistency is the key because your staff will go off script very quickly if you don't keep them on script. So you need to make sure they're following what's it. And they're not robotic. They've got to be fluid and flexible. So the more senior they are, the more experienced, they can answer questions seamlessly. But we actually sit down and have rehearsals on how to take a phone call, how to answer a message, how to address someone when they come in. And we practice. And the results come in from there. Love that. So somebody, um, I think it was Adam, was asking about staff training and how you go about it. I'll just pull up the question here. But you do staff training that, that's super valuable of actually how to do the enrollment, the scripts, and so forth, because that is your first point of contact. So that's arguably one of the most important points of, of the training. But what, where else do you, what else do you lean towards with the type of staff training that you do and the depth that you go? And it was Sam who asked. And Sam, if you want to 
elaborate it maybe a bit deeper than that. Just um, just ask that in the chat. Yeah, so in terms of staff training, obviously having 23 locations, you've got clear systems to, to produce more people like you and then obviously lower level instructors, assistants, student leaders down from that. So I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how, how that's structured and even maybe how you how you go through after the training and, 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 and pick and choose who are going to be the head instructors that are going to manage your facilities. Sure, Sam. Thanks for the question. Um, we, we have some historical owners. Uh, so if you like, the organisation's in two part. We have 10 full-time centres and then we have, um, I think, it's four part-time centres and the rest are in community or school halls. So we sort of focus on the, the top 14, if you like, for everything. Every, but everyone follows the same system. So, for example, in a community or a school hall, the guy or the girl might work in a full-time job and they just teach two nights a week. So I classify them as um, part-time hobbyists, but they're still part of our organisation and the numbers all collate together. The rest, so my main focal point is for people with the permanent setups who've made big financial commitments. So we want to make sure they get a return on investment and they are able to do that. So our systems, once you have a full-time centre, you can you do that. So we have a leadership program. So we'll talk about two sides. So the martial arts side, pretty much like everyone else does, have a leadership program. And then you have different levels of instructors. So like you might have, a, obviously, assistant instructor, class instructor, a lead instructor. They lead a, a group of classes. If you have multi floors in your location or you might split your class in two whatever uh, then we have an instructor coordinator and their job is to coordinate the rostering the staffing uh, and look after the whole uh, area so some of these jobs are very casual like they all have been casual very few hours a week and we have many that are full-time as we mentioned earlier on so and then obviously you have the the um, school owner or you might have a manager in there. So we have a manager in some, but most are school-owned. Okay, so that, that's the sort of the, the martial arts side. On the business side, we replicate that where in the leadership program, we identify at a young age if someone's going to be good to either go into our administrative role uh, or a marketing role um, or, in, or an instructional role. Some do both, obviously. Uh, and then we have training programs for them, so you might come into our facility, say here, and you'll see a young uh, lady or young boy on the they'll be fourteen or fifteen, and they'll come in and they'll welcome you, um, and they'll say, "Oh, hi Sam, your appointment is at four forty-five. Um, please come over here, um, sanitize your hands, you know, because of COVID and all that sort of stuff. Have a seat, uh, and we'll have um, you know the person come out, going to talk to you." And then they'll come out and, and get the person and go from there. So they're learning to be communicators and then go from there. And then, then we have people who can run the whole front office or the front desk. And they, they're the ones who make appointments and set up the trials, set up the enrolments, um, discuss any, you know, things that are happening or need to happen. So it's, it's structured that way. So then we have, obviously, if you have a junior leadership team, Program. I think they're all pretty much the same and everyone just adds a bit of spit and polish how they see it should run and that. But the key is, just like everyone says, if you don't keep developing staff and that coming through or the people coming through, 
well, you know, you can lose a lot. Like here at Port Macquarie, we had um, we're really good staff, but some took up positions and when COVID hit, they moved to maybe Newcastle or Sydney or Brisbane or something for work or went off to uni and that. And, and we, we lost like eight key staff in a 12-month period. But we're still powering along because we had enough depth and we had enough training for those people to step into those roles. So you have a little bit of a, a bump in the road, but you just keep on, you know, keep on trucking. So I hope that answers your questions, Ian. Yep, Sam, thank you. Anything, anything else you want to ask in relation to that? No, that's good. All right, perfect. While, while we're going around and while Sam was asking a question, anyone else got a, got a question? If you just want to unmute. It's not really a question, but g'day, Kev. Um, g'day. I, uh, I don't know, sat through something that you were having a talk in Sydney there a couple of years ago with, and you said that when you opened up a, uh, a new venue, you used a chocolate wheel that mm. um, to attract people, you know, when you were, <laughs> when you were advertising. Um, I'll be really honest with you, after that, uh, after that session that you did, I actually went out and bought a chocolate wheel and the next event we had, I used it. And I could tell you the amount of kids that come over that got a free chocolate or a free pen or a free <laughs> some damn thing was unbelievable. And we've still got a whole stack of those students that we signed up from that event simply by coming over with that chocolate wheel. It was amazing. We've still got it and we still use it. Great stuff. <laughs> I'm glad it worked for you, Lindsay. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, when I'm down that way next, I'll come and get a chocolate off you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think at our age, Kev, neither of us need chocolate, no. probably. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're not dead yet, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah. Can I jump in, George? Is that okay? Sure. Yes. Okay. G'day, Kev. Um, G'day. I'm Ben. Um, so I'm just I've, – I've started up a second location, so I'm just sort of yeah. – feeling my way through some of this stuff and it's in a community center the guy i've got running it i've actually got on a small commission basis plus his hourly yeah. rate yeah um i'm trying to get him invested in it and he is invested in it so i just wanted you to talk a little bit about how you structure you know part-time full-time people that come in once a week on casual rates people that are you know using it as their career what what sort of steps and levels and sure. uh remuneration well, stuff do you yeah 100 well we use the um Fitness Industry Award as our as our base, and I think that's pretty much, from my understanding, from the boys at Fair Work I spoke to, they said that's a, that's the one you got to use. So we, we've used that for the last ten years, uh, and so we we pay everyone accordingly, according to the young uh, my young staff. A couple of girls work at McDonald's, and they um, they said, "Oh, we like working here because you get more money." And I, and I said, oh, well, <laughs> but you get free McDonald's, don't you? And they said, no, we don't, actually. So <laughs> apparently they don't anymore. Anyway, um, so we use, we use the Fitness Industry Award and um, we have different levels. So when you get to a, like, uh, if you own the school and the person works for you, uh, our people that get to what we call level 4A, um, uh, they, they're uh, like an instructor coordinator or a front office coordinator they are paid a wage and then they get an incremental growth bonus from your gross monthly take. And that fluctuates depending on the income. So if your income for the location is, I don't know, I'll just use round figures, is 20,000, they might get 0.25%. Uh, 
if they get up, when you get up to 40 and 50,000, the percentage goes up a little bit more and that incentivizes them to be proactive, participative and take ownership. And as you all know, if someone has ownership of something, they're going to embrace it and make sure your systems are utilised to the fullest extent. So my objective is to get our guys up to uh, their bonuses equal their weekly wage. So per month they get like a fifth week's wage. Does that make sense? And um, that way that really motivates them to move yep. forward. Okay, that's yeah, that's good. That's sort of what I'm thinking. I might look at my percentages, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. When, when I when I first did it, I got a little bit generous and. <laughs> oh, I've, got, I've got him on five percent, but then again, he's only got five students. So that's yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but they go and get more, you know. So. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. <laughs> Great. All right. Thank you, mate. Thank you. No, no problem. Well, awesome. Um, Anyone else got a direct question? Yeah, George, I've got one. Yeah, I've Thanks. Uh, well, how do you get people into your leadership program? Sure. Okay, well, um, that's a whole bunch of seminars on it. I think Brett's got a pretty good program up there as well. Um, he does a really good leadership one, so, you know, um, probably something he could talk about at another stage. But what we do is um, you just look across your classes and you'll see. You'll see kids that are a little bit more attentive, a little bit more participative, and even the ones that are not. So we have an application process um, and we only take a set amount each um, twice a year and um, we have a waiting list about like heaps of people who want to get on board. So we make it uh, part of the language is that later on if you want to get involved and we tell the parents and we say, see that staff there, all the staff out there that are teaching, they all started as three, four or five-year-olds. Nearly all of them, uh, you know, like they're the 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Like I've got guys that have been with me for 40 years, you know. Hard to believe. I know I only look 35, but, <laughs> you know, so you, you have people, you know, involved for a long time. But just as they're starting out to answer your question, have a look at the, the people training and don't be afraid. Don't get caught up in, oh, you can only have higher grades involved. I, I aim for people who are about between nine, nine to 12 months training, and then they're the ones I invite across to do a, a one-month trial in the leadership program, and then from that um, we filter to the next level. Now, we don't throw people to the curb, nor do we you know, push them aside, but what we do do, those ones who didn't make the cut, we get them to do other activities and roles so they still feel like they're part of the group and then later on they may come into the second or a second time around or the third time around. It's a bit of FOMO, fear of missing out. So they, you know, once they get in, they really, it's amazing to watch how much they step up. Um, so I hope that answered your question. But, uh, Brett, you, you've got a pretty good leadership program up there. Is that correct? You're still... Yeah, mate. Yeah, we've we've actually uh, George and I've been working on creating a uh, an actual um, program for it all. So, yeah, no, I I think I stole most of the stuff off you back in the day. So, <laughs> I'm just I'm just you. There's you and Dave Kovar that are my role models in that kind of development. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, it's um it's an absolute necessity if you want to 
literally be able to run your, your, your school like a business so you're not stuck down in the trenches with everybody every single day. So it gives you, it gives you the freedom to actually step outside and, and kind of get that, that 30,000 foot view of, of how the business is running so you can see where the things that need to be tweaked. And, and like we just lost one of our best instructors yesterday. She's studying to be a psychologist and yeah, I saw that. To that saw point. Sam yeah. Or yeah. yeah, Sam, yeah. So she's been with us for a long time. But, yep. you know, she wants to be a psychologist, a child psychologist. So she's been working around kids for a wow. long time. So, yeah. But we've got six kids that are 14 years old ready to just jump straight in there. They bawled their eyes out yesterday, but they'll take over her job next week. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah, they're going to miss her, but they'll, um, they've learned from her. So and, and following in their footsteps is another bunch of 10-year-olds that want to be them. So... Perfect. You just got to, yeah. You just got to be looking at your bench strength all the time, and yeah. and they come from weird directions. You just, Correct. Yeah, Correct. you get someone comes in and they've just got the right personality. You sow the seed early that they've got the right personality to be instructor. Is that something that they'd be interested down the track? And then it might not be another year before you chat to them again. So and then start getting them going in that direction. Good. So yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. You just got to be on it all the time. Yeah, terrific. That's no, great. I'd like to have a look at that when you got it done because I, everyone has a good tweak <laughs> of something. I just want to qualify something, everyone, um, if I could. You know, we're talking about people coming in and doing various roles and that. But the most important thing is I found the quality of our um, end student person that reaches black belt is a lot higher than it used to be because you have more time to focus on your programs and developing your staff. And so... We're not like we don't mass produce people. I mean, still four to five years to get to your karate black belt, you know, still eight to 10 years to get your BJJ black belt, still all that stuff's in place and still has that, you know, quality. And um, and that that's the key thing. And it allows you, if you're interested in combat sports athletes, you might be able to focus on that. If you're interested in people doing forms, you can focus on that. Uh, you might be a member of, World Taekwondo, you know, Taekwondo or Karate or Muay Thai or whatever federation and have an active role in that. So, you know, having these systems in place uh, allows you to have a better organisation and a stronger organisation and a much higher quality. And not saying that your quality isn't there now because you're putting your heart and soul in it, but what I'm saying is it gives you that opportunity to have that, as Brett said, helicopter view of the whole thing. And, um, and then when you change your mindset, um, everything changes in a positive way for you. Love that. Just wrapping up on got another few minutes, if that's okay with you, Kevin. Yeah, sure. And I just want to check in if there's any other questions. Anyone else got a, got a question for Kevin? Just a quick one. Yeah. Hi, Kev. It's Matt here. How are you going? Good. Thanks, Matt. Uh, just a quick one with your staffing. Minus like COVID and the like, where natural attrition may have found other work elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Staff retention, have you found it easy? I mean, I guess where I'm going with the question, you're going to spend so much time upskilling, monetary, time-wise, etc. Once you've got them up to a certain level and they're proficient, have you found there's many that or some that just up and leave and take an offer up better somewhere else or they're pretty loyal? or? Well... That's never happened to me. Yeah. Um, but if it does happen to me, I'll help them set up their location. You know, uh, under my umbrella, of their own because 
I don't invest my time in negative energy or negative people. So I invest my time in positive. So to answer your question is a lot of the skills that you're given transcend across to other industries. And if they can go on and, and find a career elsewhere based on the what you've done for them, I, I find that as a very positive thing, Matt. But staff retention, as I said, we, we lost a whole bunch because you know, four went to uni, two moved away for work and two moved away for relationships. And it was just like it all happens, you know. So that that happens in any business. Um, and I don't see, you know, when you're investing in something, well, it's a business cost and, and that's the way it goes. So to shorten the answer, um, you know, if you make it attractive enough for them uh, and it's a great opportunity and there's advancement and there's also the chance for um, – you know, personal development and growth, you'll find most people just love the job. I mean, I think we're all we're all on here now because we all like what we do, I hope. <laughs> Sometimes you want to kill people, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, Kevin, I've got a quick question if you don't mind, mate. Um, yeah. Um, my name is Shane. Good day, Shane. But, uh, how, do you, um, <clears throat> how do you keep quality control, as in every club, every location teaching the same? Sure. And that's a really good question, and, and that's one I've had a lot of times uh, asked to me. Uh, and because we have that corporate structure, we have a tier of people who actually, you know, go to each location and make sure the standard is high. With, with and I'll, I'll use the grading. So with gradings from your two belts below your black belt or black whatever you have, everyone has to grade at one of three camps that we have a year. And that way, there is quality control. And um, if you come or you you're, you send someone in to grade, this is the martial arts side, uh, and they're not up to standard, I, I don't look at the student, I look straight at you and um, everyone else does. So the actual standard has lifted because it's self-perpetuating, because people don't want to be the guy that sends someone to fail their grading. So that's the martial arts side. Uh, and on the business side, well, you have monthly reports and you can see growth. Um, and you've probably heard it before, statistics, you know, keep tabs on everything. And you can see, like, we, we um, with our marketing, um, you know, we, we have various forms, but we capture where people come from, why they come in, how they come in, what they're looking for, and then there's a next level of marketing, like that's right up George's alley, so I won't go into that. But, you know, he's the man for that sort of thing. Um, but just with your staff working for you at, a, at an isolated location, they have, a, we have a, like a, a daily report. They text in just a short, a short report and then they have a weekly report and then we have a weekly meeting. So that makes sense. Yeah. So that's, that's for the other locations I own and the ones other under licence, that's their baby, but they follow exactly the same system. And what about um, keeping video? Uh, yeah, how, like, how do you make sure that everybody is doing for cut for for example? Mm -hmm. um, how do you, how do you uh, what do you, you use? Sorry, what do you use um, to communicate to your um, members? Sure. Yeah. Good question. Okay. Well, long time ago. <laughs> You used to go to a camp and take a notepad and a pen and draw little stick figures. <laughs> and then, then they'd come up with this beautiful thing called a VHS. You know, it was about this big and so you'd video. Um, we've, we've had everything, our whole curriculum online since 
I think 1995, uh, and it's yeah, the it's very clear and it stipulates you can only grade as per the cutter and the bunkai on the curriculum. So we have a system where we have a curriculum and you might go in there and go and say, for your brown belt, what have I got to learn? It says grading requirements or cutter and they do that. So don't forget, they're being taught by their instructor and then we have senior instructors which go to the locations and do seminars. So every location gets a visit from either myself or one of the senior guys every six weeks or so. So, And then we get together those three camps per year. So the quality control is maintained through uh, either using the, what we call curriculum uh, and then, you know, and there's many, many forms out there. There's, there's, there's some great stuff. Um, Chris Fulmer's Budo Code is a good one. We use different one. Um, you got your phone now. You can video it and send, and send it around. Um, so we're not learning stuff off videos. You need to learn it physically and then just have the video as a reference tool. So I just want to make that clear. So, you know, we don't – but if you're already a martial artist, you can pick stuff up, you know. There's a lot of YouTube experts out there, but we're not one of them. So. Hopefully that answered your question, Shane. Yeah, thanks, mate. Cheers. Perfect. All right, guys. Um, is there any more questions? If there's more – probably – Got time maybe for one more if there is. Just a quick one, George. Um, yeah. Hi, Kevin. I'm Zach from Perth. Hey, Zach. Just since we're on the staff part, how often do you guys have staff meetings with the full-time staff? Is it a daily thing you get together uh, once a week at the start of the week? Yeah, sure. So what we, what we do is our full-time staff, if they're in a separate location to where I'm at, they send in a, a nightly report. Just to, It's pretty much a formatted uh, printed. They just fill in the blanks. It's just let any incidents and that sort of stuff. And then we have a weekly meeting. Uh, and the weekly meeting, we have, okay, Kat, you know, what's happened, what's about to happen. And then we might have uh, once every three weeks, we have a dedicated actual training on a specific area. Uh, and then we have physical training for all the instructor staff weekly. They have a set, set class they have to go to. And if they don't attend, uh, you know, three out of the four weeks, then they're put back down further on the roster. So obviously things crop up, people get sick and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. we keep we keep the quality constantly. You need to have that quality. So you do physical training once a week sort of in meetings? Yeah. They, they have to train in other classes as well, but yeah. just to make sure we've got that exact quality control. So, yeah, keep on them. <laughs> but it, it's all about... Ownership. Everyone has to own their role. Everyone has to own their class that they teach and everyone has to own what they're delivering. So we have everything set. All the classes are set, all the detail, topics. So we take uh, the uh, syllabus and then we extrapolate the information out into a weekly schedule and then in that weekly schedule, then there's the classes that fall in that week. So if you use, we use See our karate program. Okay, our focus might be. Um, well, I can look it up now. But last night, I can tell you what it was. It was. Uh, it was. We were focusing on Tai Sabaki, which is body shifting. Okay, so that was the topic. So that happened in twenty three locations last night. Everyone was doing that subject, and that way, they were, we we knew you know. And so when Mum comes in and says, "Hey, how come you you failed my son? You know, he didn't pass the grading. What happened? You know, and all that sort of stuff." We just say, well, 
this syllabus was taught over the 12-week the period. Um, some locations we have a grading every 12 weeks or we have three gradings a year, so we don't have them every week or anything like that. Yep. So it's a bit of a backup. It allows us to, to reference back and say, well, this was taught this week, and over the term, the same subjects taught, I think, three times intermingled over the over the 12-week cycle. So that way you can you can rest assured that, you know, their child has, if they turned up regularly, that's why. And if they don't turn up regularly, they can't grade anyway. So, so pretty much uh, you do three gradings a year mm-hmm. and you repeat this, you do a training session that goes over probably, what, two weeks, something like that, like five, five different training sessions leading up to that 12-week yeah. cycle? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's easy to monitor when you've got locations yeah. where you can't be, I guess. Look, the good old days, you just rock in and drive an over. Or when I was on a building site, I used to ride it on a bit of jip rock, going to teach kicks tonight. <laughs> and that was my class plan. So, yeah. you know, you, you, <laughs> I see Lindsay laughing because I know it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's the way it was. You know, you'd rock up and you go, oh, geez, Graydon's coming up. These guys don't know this. Okay, we better do that. So, you know, you. <laughs> You can, um, you know, shoot a shotgun into the trees and hopefully hit something, or you can do a study of where your target's going to be and set it up and be a little bit more accurate, you know. So you, you need to have everything detailed. And it's not, it, it sounds like a lot, but it's not really. It's just what you do, and it's just a matter of structuring it so people are able to learn what they need to learn to advance correctly. Yeah. So I got a last question. Um, if it's not personal, um, give me a range roughly what you pay your full-time, like sort of more of the head instructors, not the ones that are on, on a ownership, those that are just working for you guys. Uh, the, the guys that like run a location or something? Is that what yeah, you mean? probably like a run. Yeah. yeah. So, so it depends if you like um, – Instructor coordinator, I think, under fitness industry, I think it's 4A, which is about 25-something an hour, uh, and then they get bonuses depending on how long they've been there for uh, and what they contribute. So that that wage will go up markedly depending on their participation and involvement. Does that make sense? Yeah. And your casuals are about 30 bucks an hour, I think, for adult Casuals, and we have different levels. We have accredited instructors and non-accredited instructors, and which is a whole other subject for another day. So. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. good. No worries. Thanks for that, Kevin. Uh, you're welcome. Perfect. Cool. Thanks, Zach, and thanks. Thank you, Kevin. I, I think if everyone can just quickly unmute and just give Kevin a virtual. So, uh, you have to unmute for that. Make a noise. Come on, man. Hooray. Thanks, Kevin. That was awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Awesome work, man. Well, guys, all I'd like to say is, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Fight the hard fight. It's been a tough journey. Strong leadership, clear and concise systems, and um, have a goal all the time, you know, where you want to be, how you want to get there. Uh, and enjoy the ride. I mean, I, I wake up every day excited. Okay, you know, what am I going to do today? And how are we going to approach this? And, you know, we, we're all, always looking to, you know, 
work towards the next goal. So thanks for having me on, George. And um, you can reach out through social media. I'm there um, if you have any questions. And, um, yeah, so all the best for the future. Okay. Thanks, mate. Kevin, thank you so much. Thanks All so much right. for your, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate. Um, sorry about the tech issues earlier, ah, but thanks so much for uh, for changes. Me having all the tech issues. The tech the tech guys got all the tech issues. <laughs> <laughs> That's my pleasure. Have a great day, everyone. Take care. Cool. Bye-bye. Thanks, Kevin. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with other top smart martial arts school owners and have a chat about marketing, lead generation, what's working now. And or just have a a gentle rant about things that are happening in the industry, then I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. And in there, I share a lot of extra videos and downloads and worksheets, things that are working for us when we work, help school owners grow and share a couple of video interviews and a bunch of cool extra resources. So uh, it's called the Martial Arts Media Community. And an easy way to access it is if you just go to the domain name martialartsmedia.group. So martialartsmedia.group, G-R-O-U-P. There's no .com or anything, martialartsmedia.group. That will take you straight there. Uh, Request to join and I will accept your invitation. Thanks. I'll speak to you on the next episode. Cheers. That will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.